Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. This is Coog's Talk Stock, and I'm Sarah Drager, a master's student in the Animal Science Department here at WSU, and your host for today. I'm so excited to be discussing aquaculture with our local WSU expert, Dr. Michael Phelps. Welcome, Dr. Phelps. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into aquaculture? Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I am an assistant professor in the Department of Animal Sciences here at WSU, and and I've always been interested in aquaculture since I was a child, or at least uh, fish and uh, aquatic organisms since I've been a child. So it's uh, really a, a no-brainer for me to be able to work with aquatic organisms and aquaculture um, in my career. So I, I've been working with them now for, for well over a decade, and, and it's been really rewarding. Yeah, aquaculture is such an interesting area of animal science, so let's just get right into it. Can you start off by explaining what aquaculture really is and how it's a tool for providing seafood to consumers? Yeah. So you can think of aquaculture just like any type of agriculture. You know, we're just farming aquatic organisms. And um, this has been something that's been done for for thousands of years. But only recently has it became something that's been more common, uh, mostly because we've been able to uh, deplete a lot of our resources from the aquatic environment. If you think about it, the oceans and um, lakes and rivers have been able to supply all the seafood that we've needed for generations. And it's only now that we've been having a higher demand on them that we've needed to start thinking about how we can actually farm these animals. Um, and so aquaculture in general, if you were to define it, was be growing any kind of aquatic organism, whether it be fish, whether it be shellfish, or, or even considered um, algae and kelp are a great form of aquaculture. So those are kind of the three main forms of aquaculture that people use um, to supply seafood to the world. Can you explain a little bit the difference between net and tank environments? Yeah. So, so for fish, you need to figure out how to raise the fish in, in an enclosed environment because they could swim away. Unlike, um, you know, even, even on farms, we have fences around farms. And so uh, the difference between ways that we can raise fish are either tanks, nets, or we can even make ponds where we can flow the, the water into a, a land-based system. But essentially, tanks are usually made of some kind of hard um, substance or a round tank or concrete. And they a lot of times can be located on land. And that's the main difference. Nets are located in the water itself. And there's some, some pros and cons to both approaches. Um, tanks a lot of times can be used in recirculating systems where you're using reusing the water kind of like you would use a, a fish tank at home. And so you use less water impact if you're using tanks, but the fish need to be reared at a little bit higher density when you're raising fish in tanks versus nets. Nets can be very large. And so you can raise fish in, in much lower densities. It's uh, maybe better for their welfare, but it is out in the environment. And so anything that's in the environment is also um, and, and anything that's in the, the net can also be in the environment. So those are just the differences between those types of culture systems. So you touched a little earlier on different kinds of 
species such as like algae. Can you give us a couple other examples? Like do you farm raise shellfish and crustaceans? Yeah, no, this is um, pretty much any type of organism that we would eat as seafood that you would see in the supermarket is something that we could farm. And really good sustainable aquaculture comes from a lot of these these groups such as shellfish and algae and kelp. Now, um, shellfish is actually the largest type of, of uh, seafood that we produce in aquaculture in the United States and even around the world. We're, think, we're talking about things like shrimp. We're talking about clams and mussels. Um, Washington State here is one of the, the largest producers of mussels and, and clams and oysters in the, the whole entire country. Um, and these are a lot of times just raised out on natural oyster or natural shellfish beds. And they do a, a lot of good work for the environment in filtering water. And if you think about it, you can imagine raising them. Um, they don't need any water. They don't need any food. The same thing for algae and kelp. So you're essentially uh, raising agricultural species without having major inputs for having to feed the animals themselves. So they're, they're major ways of, of having some sustainable source of good quality protein. That's really interesting that they use existing resources. So what are the risks of a uh, farmed species escaping? And like what happens if a net salmon or something escapes into the wild population? Yeah, you know, it's a concern for everyone. And this, these are less concerns, obviously, for shellfish because they're not they're not moving and, and algae they're you know, they're you're, you're just raising uh, what's already there. But for finfish, we do have the possibility that fish will escape. And unlike a lot of domestic animals, aquacultured fish are not very um, selected. So most uh, many, many different types of finfish are raised essentially from wild stocks. But there are some exceptions and the exceptions are some of the salmon um, and other types of species that have been selectively bred and they're not wild. Um, they are raised for uh, farming and they, if they're raised in net pens, you know, cultured in the environment, they have the possibility to be able to escape and, and get out into the wild. Now, it's not incredibly common that this happens and, and there is some instances for when this um, has occurred and it has caused some um, challenges with making sure that, that those fish aren't impacting wild species. Um, but for the most part, there's lots of protections to try to prevent that from happening. But when it does happen, it, the concern is that fish that were raised out in the, the environment could compete with or breed with wild fish that are, that are here in our state. And that's, and that's something that we, we, we wouldn't want to have to happen. But the industry has really kind of focused on trying to mitigate those challenges. So a lot of times we have to raise, unlike agricultural spe uh, um, species such as livestock, um, a lot of the emphasis on raising fish is actually raising fish that are sterile so that if they do uh, escape um, and they do interact with wild species, then their impact to, to be able to breed with them is, is less. So... Uh, you can think about it, that every type of agriculture, whether it be um, raising livestock, uh, growing um, 
vegetables or, or plants for food has some type of impact on the environment and aquaculture is no different than that. So that is something that is definitely a concern for especially here in Washington is what happens if, if these fish escape from net pen farms. Yeah, it's a really interesting that they raise them sterile. So is that a, that's not a GMO thing, right? They're just raising them sterile. Well, so the way that they, they can, um, you can actually do this without genetically modifying them. Uh, fish are unlike mammals where we can essentially treat them when they're in the egg um, to make them sterile from when they're an egg on with, with just by heating, heating the eggs up and kind of um, disrupting the process by which they, they um, become fertile. Now, it's not 100%. There is a small percentage of fish that, that, that remain um, uh, viable, but the vast majority, 98, 99% of the fish are sterile using uh, this approach called triploidy. So at least in Washington, the fish have to be sterile and most of them are also raised to be all female. So uh, it, it kind of helps with uh, the fish to grow faster, but then also to have uh, reduced some kinds of impacts that they have if they were to escape. So these are all ways that the industry is trying to mitigate uh, potential challenges that they would have if, if the fish were to escape in the environment because it's just such an indifferent type of agriculture where we don't worry about livestock escaping because we can go and catch them and bring them back to the farm when fish escape uh they're 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 very difficult to track down so in your professional opinion can you touch on the gmo aqua advantage salmon its place in farming and any management yeah. safety concerns you have yeah, so for, for those that you don't know, the, the Aqua Advantage salmon is the only um, federally approved genetically modified animal that's been approved for human consumption. And it has um, the ability to grow continually throughout the year. Usually salmon species during the winter time when the water is cold, they would, um, their growth would depress and, and they wouldn't grow uh, steadily during that time. So those fish have a boost in their growth hormone levels during the cold months and allows them to essentially grow uh, continuously throughout the, the entire year. Um, GMO, there hasn't been any other GMO salmon that have been produced and, and it's a controversial issue, but there is a new technology, gene editing technology that, that holds a lot of potential for not just enhancing um, production trays, which, which most of the time we can get anyways through selective breeding. Um, just like in livestock, if you think about it, fish have only, they've only been really farmed for the last several decades. So while livestock have been selectively bred over thousands of years to give you that perfect trait, that the, 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 the great marbling in your steak and the good growth behaviors and the, the feed conversion that, that allows you to get good yields, um, that has only recently been started in aquaculture. And so there's a lot of improvement that can be gained just through selective breeding. But what gene editing technology has is, is we can speed up the process by which those animals can acquire new traits, particularly traits that they couldn't gain by making, by breeding alone. For instance, making fish that are 100% guaranteed sterile 
it's not a production trait. It's not going to enhance their, their, their value in the market, but it's going to make them more sustainable. And so these are things that a lot of researchers, including research in my lab, is looking at is trying to, how can we use technology to be able to make aquaculture more friendly to our environment? And if you think about it, Whenever you go to the, grow, the, the supermarket and you look at a fish to buy, that fish is either coming from a farm or it's coming from the wild. So when people are buying their fish, um, they have to make a choice between buying it from the wild or, or buying a farm fish. And the wild fish, we're, we're lucky in the fact that uh, we can eat uh, fish that are caught in the wild. Imagine trying to, you know, live off of a, a hunted animal. Um, it's not something that can be supported on land. And so we've accepted farming as a, as a, as a tool for being able to, um, provide the meat that we have. And we're lucky enough in aquatic animals that we are able to, the ocean is able to provide us both a, a harvested hunted animal, wild fish and farmed organisms. So the ability for us to, to farm our species in a sustainable way has great potential to be able to um, provide a, a viable food source because the fish, those wild fish populations can't support our continued demand on their food. So that's kind of a long answer for um, the farm fish have the potential to really make a difference in our food if we can figure out ways to grow them in a sustainable way so that they don't have impacts on the environment. It's my understanding that the like, GMO salmon has to be ranged in tanks, right? Just to prevent yeah, so, exposure. So the idea is that we don't want that um, GMO salmon to be able to escape. And so uh, it has to have a lot more biosecurity than uh, normal cultured um, salmon would have to. And so, yes, those fish are by uh, FDA rules have to be cultured in uh, enclosed protected tank systems so that they can't escape. Exactly. And, but the benefit is one of the benefits is, is those systems are usually more sustainable, but they're harder to make a profit because you have to raise um, fish for e either in higher densities or you have to raise them um, for a shorter period of time. And so those GMOs allow uh, fish to be able to be produced in a shorter window of time because they keep growing. So it makes them able to be more adaptable to raised in tank systems. Um, but we may be able to reach the levels of growth that those fish get simply through selective breeding um, as, as the, the, species develop along. So switching gears a little bit, uh, how is healthcare managed in seafood environments when like it can be difficult to evaluate an individual fish or other species? Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you can't easily see inside the, the tank or the, the net pan to see how the fish are doing. Um, you would be shocked with some kind of, some of the advanced technologies that are being brought about now because it's in the farmer's best interest. It's in the, the consumer's best interest to make sure that, that, that all the fish are healthy. And so there's, there's technologies now that can even scan, uh, for fish that are, uh, the, the quality of fish and the health of the fish as they're, they're being farmed. Um, to be able to watch them. There's cameras that they can put down inside the, the tanks to be able to man, uh, monitor the health of fish. Um, there's regular, regular inventories of fish 
But you also want to try to balance looking at the fish as well as handling the fish. The more handling of the fish, the more chances you have of causing, uh, you know, causing them stress and stress leads to disease and, and, and we don't want that to happen. So um, there is technologies that are being developed to try to mitigate some of those um, um, potential interactions between uh, the farm fish and, and humans. So for all of our wildlife enthusiasts, why are some wild species or like farmed and then released for fishing? Why not just rest fishing? Can you dive yeah. a little bit into that practice? So, so this, this comes down to the fact that we need to catch fish for food and we want to catch fish for recreation as well. So uh, you could, could you imagine Washington state without being able to go and catch salmon, right? Now, this is something that every one of us, I mean, at least myself, who's, who's an avid fisherman, we want to be able to go out and catch farm fish. And many people may not know that uh, when you catch a salmon in Washington state, 80% of the time that fish actually was derived from a conservation hatchery. So a type of form of aquaculture that we call ocean ranching, where essentially we're growing the fish in the large numbers purely for the reason to support some kind of industry on them, whether it be commercial fishing for food or recreational fishing for, um, for the, the general population. And without that right now, we would not be able to catch fish in Washington state. Um, now, you know, maybe some people would, would, could use the, could want to be able to, to just cut off all fishing and, and restore our wild populations. But it's not uh, a feasible thing for both e the economics of the state, as well as um, just, just the interests of, of, you know, outdoor enthusiasts to be able to go and catch wild, uh, wild fish, essentially. Yeah. Washington would definitely not be the same without fishing. Yeah. So in store, are wild caught versus farmed seafood labeled any differently? Um, you know, you probably have to look pretty closely for the label, but usually they, uh, they will, uh, they will say farmed, uh, fish in there. If you, it's Atlantic salmon, uh, it's almost guaranteed to be farmed. Uh, here in Washington, for sure, we are going to have wild, you know, wild caught king salmon and, and, and that type of salmon because most of the, the farmed salmon that we would have uh, here inside uh, Washington state and, and probably around the country would mostly be Atlantic salmon. So when you see Atlantic salmon, most likely it's been farmed. Um, but oftentimes when you, when you see some of the other salmon species, uh, Chinook salmon in particular, uh, it's usually not farmed. It may be from a, hat a conservation hatchery, though. Uh, in fact, it likely comes from some kind of conservation hatchery, which is, again, a form of aquaculture. But it was raised out in the, you know, it grew up in the ocean, essentially. Do you think it's more fair to consumers to have more definitive labeling or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think it can't. I mean, in my opinion, I, I definitely think that the fish should be raised as farm. But I, I want people to understand that that farming is a, is a good thing in this aspect because we can't rely on the the wild caught fish to support our our demands. Um, a lot of people think that wild fish are all overfished. 
um, or they're they're on decline. That's not necessarily the case. The most of the majority of the fish that are that are out there are managed at what we call a maximum sustainable yield. So they're caught at the most they can possibly be caught, but any more would cause that those wild fish to start to decline. You can think of this as when you go fishing, you have a fishing license, right? Some um, uh, fisheries biologists have done the science that's been going on for decades to understand how many wild fish we can catch and still maintain their their levels uh, of conservation. And so by that license, we've essentially set a quota that we can catch this much fish in a given year. Um, and so... With, without that, right now, we're catching as many fish as we can, but if we catch any more, the, the stocks are going to start to decline. But we want to eat a lot more than that level. And so, in order to meet that demand, we're going to have to start farming our fish just like we farm any other protein source, um, whether it be livestock, poultry, um, or, or anything else. That's a great point. How does water quality and pollution affect natural populations health? and even the health of the consumer later down the road. Yeah, so um, water quality, uh, just like anything, would, would have, you know, impacts on, on, you know, culture systems. Now, most of them are specifically designed uh, to be in areas of really good water quality. So if you have recirculating systems, you actually can uh, control your water quality because you're, you're having the filters and the pumps and the, the uh, systems to maintain great water quality. And you don't need a lot of input. You don't, you know, you can run those systems off of very low water coming into the facility. So you can control your water quality very well um, in those systems, as long as you effectively remove the wastes that are produced by the fish. Um, It's more of a challenge when fish are raised in the actual environment, either in outside flow through tanks or raceways uh, or out in net pens out in the environment. But a lot of times they're put, those things are put in areas where the water is moving through rapidly. Um, and that has a, a direct effect on being able to, uh, to provide good water quality as well as remove any wastes that are, that are those, those, um, systems maybe producing from having a high volume of animals in, in one location. So those are kind of purposefully designed scenarios where the, the aquaculture systems are put in environments where they try to maintain uh, good water quality. Because if you don't have good water quality, you're not going to have a good um, source of fish. So in wild caught species, um, you're going to have probably more risk of polluted fish than even farm species then? Well, um, when you're thinking about salmon, they spend a lot of the time out in the open ocean. So they're probably not going to, you know, experience, you know, they may have some adverse effects back in the river uh, stream systems when they're younger. But I wouldn't I would say they probably have better water quality because they're out away from human impact, whereas farm fish, uh, they have to be closer. Now, there's a really big push and it's it's going to be a daunting challenge, but there's a really big push to try to figure out how to farm fish offshore, meaning you know, 10 miles or more off of the coast in deep, cool, clean water where uh, we don't have to worry about some of the problems to, uh, that, that are associated with having fish so close to, to humans. Um, and if we can really conquer that challenge of having fish offshore, then, then the, the opportunities are amazing because you can think about how much space that the U.S. has to grow 
uh, cultured organisms offshore. We have, you know, so much room out there. Uh, if we can exploit that to raise fish, then we don't have to use our lands to do so. We don't have to use our nearshore areas to do so as well. But obviously, it's more difficult to grow something when it's, you know, out um, deep in the oceans. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on sustainability of wild caught versus farmed seafood? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of, there's a couple big take homes for sustainability in aquaculture that people are working extremely hard to address. Um, the escapement is one of them. Uh, another really big one is the, uh, the source of food. And this comes from uh, our demand for wanting to eat carnivores. If you think about it, when you go to the store and you want to eat uh, a, you know, a fish, you're going to go and chances are probably go for the salmon or the tuna or the swordfish or, or uh, rockfish. All those species are carnivores. They're high on the food chain and we have to feed them other fish essentially or protein sources. And so, one of the big sustainability issues is how do we reduce our reliance on uh, other small fish or fish meal um, that's derived from smaller fish uh, to feed bigger fish? How do we, we take out that component? Can we feed them uh, proteins that are de derived from plants such as soy proteins? Carnivores don't like they're not, they don't like to eat plants. So we're trying to figure out how can we get them to eat as much plant protein as we possibly can without making them sick. So that's a, that's a, that's a huge area of research is to try to figure out how to uh, feed them less uh, uh, fish meal in their diets. Um, another one is disease resistance. This is always something that's, you know, for all agricultural animals um, is reducing the occurrence of disease. So we essentially have escapement, disease resistance, and, and fish meal are some of the major, major uh, places that we can improve sustainability of farm fish. Wow, that's really a lot of technological process that's going on. Yeah. Where do you see aquaculture in the future? Um, so this is kind of goes to some of what I've talked about before is moving offshore away from uh, uh, away from humans um, and this ability to try to figure out how to culture fish with the least amount of impact on our uh, our environment. If we can also reduce our demand on some of these really high uh, the carnivores, um, eat more shellfish. Uh, in, incorporate uh, algae or kelp into our diet more. Again, these things don't require any water. They, uh, because they're raised out in the environment, they help clean the water when they're, when they're out there. Uh, if you think about every single time you've fertilized your yard, we have too much uh, algae and primary production in our water systems now and the shellfish help clean and, and, and get rid of that. So we're feeding them indirectly. And so if we can eat more of those types of species, we don't have to grow uh, as many of these, these large carnivores. That's in itself um, sustainable. So technology is going to have a great role to play in improving our, um, our aquaculture production and making it more sustainable, um, both through uh, technological innovations and culture systems, um, and as well as, as being able to create fish and shellfish that are more, that are more disease resistance and, and better 
um, for the environment, for sure. I've learned so much today and I'm sure our audience has too, but that's all we have time for today. So thank you, Dr. Phelps. Yeah, thanks. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock podcast brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Cougs Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at Stock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement. 